0: You know, I don't think there's a yogi out there who hasn't wondered or asked the question, what is yoga? It's such a simple question, right? Just three short words. And yet it's something that I'm still working to unravel more than 25 years after I took my first yoga class. For what it's worth, I think there's something kind of beautiful about that, isn't it? An idea or practice that's so universal, so enduring, so all-encompassing, that defining it becomes a challenge. I love that. Hello, lovely people. It's Shara Carruthers here, and I'm hoping that all is well in your world, as you find yourself listening whenever and wherever you are. Our guest today is Emma Balnaves. She's a filmmaker, a yoga teacher, and co-founder and director of Shadow Yoga and she's also the director and producer of the film Agni Yogana. The film gives us deep insights into the roots of yoga in general and into the roots of the yoga that Emma practices. And Emma, she's been practicing and teaching classical hatha yoga for decades. So that question, what is yoga? It's been her constant companion for a good part of her life. And so it makes, there's no surprise that she decided to explore this question in her first ever film. And I gotta tell you, Agni Yogana is a beautiful film. She shot it across a number of stunning locations throughout Nepal and India and beyond. Emma says, the film's title refers to the yoking of one's own inner fire. This inner fire is what transmutes and transforms every living being so they may become more fully awake, vibrant, and alive. The film itself is an exploration of the foundations of classical Hatha yoga and a reminder of the ideas and the principles from which it came. And it's kind of timely. Because these same ideas are so vitally important to times like these when all of us are being called upon more than ever to connect with and to tend to our inner fires. We really love this chat with Emma. We talked about her yoga and the film and the process of making the film and what she learned. We also talked about some of the connections between yoga and Ayurveda, something that's highlighted in the film. And how Ayurveda is very much an integral part of the classical or the more holistic practice of yoga. And at a time when so many see yoga as just mainly a form of exercise, it's something that we talked about with Emma, I feel a lot like her work and the way she lives her life, her beautiful examples and reminders of the value and the results of engaging with yoga as a sacred practice or sadhana for living. So please enjoy this conversation that Maria and I had with filmmaker, producer, yogi, teacher, Emma Balnaves So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank uh, you for having Oh, we're glad you're here. We often kick this off, uh, especially in these times, just by asking, How are you? How are you in this in this at this time, I suppose I should say.
1: Um, adapting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've and I feel actually very fortunate to be in South Australia mm. now. I mean, you know, my husband and I we were supposed to move to France, but we got stuck here. Um But I think we were very lucky. And, you know, just as we were chatting about South Australia, we haven't had many cases here of the COVID. And I feel that it's because it's a desert, you know. Mm. And apparently Mm. the whole state is under crystal courts. Like the Indigenous people Mm -hmm. here used to do a lot of healing work. Like even where they planned to build Adelaide, it's quite funny because when they did the planning, the Indigenous said, no, you shouldn't build the city here. This is only to come for healing. And... Mm. Um, I actually haven't lived here for over 20 years, but, you know, this year has been most of the year that we've been here and um, it always has felt like a very nurturing place to, to do that. And Adelaide Hills where I did grow up is um, it's different. It doesn't have the crystal quartz, but it's also, it really has that kind of energy where you want to relax and yeah, but we've been able to teach in Adelaide like Adelaide hasn't had as many restrictions. So, Thankfully, I have been able to, you know, with students, meet with students, have that contact with people um, and haven't had to do too much online. So I'm mm-hmm. very appreciative to be in South Australia for that reason during this whole new era that we're entering.
2: <laughs> wow. And how are you feeling? Because your, your film just came out, didn't it?
1: Well, actually.
2: Agni-Yoga, or is that, or is it, did it just come out in Australia for us?
1: Well, it came out actually, Maria, it came out last in Australia. It did come out beginning of this year. So I finished, completed the film, um, the final mix and everything of the film last year. In August, we signed a contract with Demand Film um, and they're a distributor who do, it's kind of set up like community screening events. So it's theatrical. And for me, the dream was always for people to have the experience of the film on a big screen Uh, Because of the visual component of it, because of the sound, and it's very different when you watch it like that versus watching it on a screen or a phone or a television screen. Um, So we were very thankful that we had this whole run with Demand Film, first in the UK. We started in September, and it was great because the uh, Demand Film company actually set the screenings up so in, when we did the premiere in that place, that I could be there because I was teaching, so I could actually do a Q&A and engage with the audience, and it was so great. It was such a good feeling mm. to have that community of people come together with, you know, that were interested in the subject matter and to share. So we started in the UK September, then in the States, they did in um, Western East Coast, and then in February we did our first premiere in Australia in Melbourne, and then it was in Sydney, Byron, Adelaide. Um, and then COVID happened. And in March, of course, those theatrical screenings stopped. So we, we were online with the film. On, so the film can now be, through Vimeo, purchased or rented.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was very excited today um, to be able to let my team know that we now have it in five languages. Oh, wow. So, all, uh, I was really blessed that some students who, you know, in Turkey, Russia, France, um, in Czechoslovakia, they actually translated the script and yeah. my editor put it all into the RVMEO files. So now when you, if you have purchased the film or rented it, you will watch, can watch it in English or any of those other languages. Um, Amazing. Yeah. That's terrific. And then we just had the SBS broadcast this this month, which is um, now on demand for a month, and that's been great because for Australians anyway, because anyone in Australia can watch the
2: film now on television. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's yes. where I've seen it. Me too. That's where I saw it, and and it was <laughs> beautiful. And I wondered, yeah, I wondered, what was Thank your you. idea in in the film? What was your your goal, your vision?
1: Yeah. So for me, it was after twenty years of. Um, I guess, travel, um, teaching also my own research of Hatha yoga, I felt the need, especially the last 10 years, I really felt the need to define more for people the term yoga because I felt there was so much confusion around that term. And even it was funny when I was at the South Australian Film Corporation in the edit suite, um, editing the film. You know, you'd meet in the kitchen with someone to get a cup of tea, and they'd be like, "Oh, what are you doing here?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm making this film." And they'd be like, "Oh, yoga? You know, I would, I can't do yoga. I'm, I'm too stiff." All right, and so people had this idea that it was a, you had to be a contortionist to do yoga, or, you know, it was just a physical activity. Um, So, from my own understanding of the hatha yogic text, my own research, practice, teaching, I saw the need to clarify what that term really is, and that it doesn't just involve that physical aspect, but there's many components. Um, So it was in, I guess, 2014, that the idea came to do the film. Um, And then when I was actually in retreat, personal retreat in Bali, I was studying the Shiva Samhita at the time. And there's one particular shloka in the Shiva Samhita that I decided to base the film around. So it talks about when the beginner starts on the path of Hatha Yoga, what's important for them to have. So Mm -hmm. the faith, firmness of mind, you know, respect to the guide, uh, Mitahara, moderate eating, but it's not just eating, it involves all all the senses, of course. So I use these defining subjects in the film and hence why it's broken up into those six chapters. So that was my... my, um, Drive to make it, I guess, or inspiration.
2: It felt particularly appropriate. Sarah and I were talking before we got on because we've been having a lot of talks with people about social justice and cultural appropriation in yoga, Mm. and it felt like it also. It's a timely film to Mm. bring yoga back to where it, or to show yoga in its origin place of origins with people of where it started, and give them a voice and center them. Yes. So I thought that also, have you, was that part of your intention or was that just, has that happened?
1: No, that was my intention too. And -hmm. also, you know, I was really blessed to, to come across some of those interview subjects and the wisdom that came with those interviews and because some of those people, they won't talk to you, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think Nepal, it does have such a great cross culture of Buddhist tradition, the Hindu tradition Um, And as we know, yoga is not a religion, it's a science, it's an art, but you'll find in both of those disciplines or religious um, areas, they practised Hatha yoga. Um, And I went to the Pashupati Nath temple purely because the Garak Nath, there's a Garak Nath temple there as well and the Nath Sampradaya there. And it was Garak Nath who actually was the one who gave the Hatha yoga to everyone, you know, in the olden days, it was very much only men could practice and the women had to, they had their different role. And mm. it was, you know, you had to only be a Brahmin. So he came forth and he said, I will share, anyone that comes to me for learning, I will share with them the teachings of Hatha Yoga. So for me, it was important that that's where I started the film.
3: Mm.
0: Mm, lovely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I was particularly delighted that you had um, one, of, one of my teachers, Dr. Robert Svoboda, and okay. with the, in the film, and also just that the film, um, it felt like it embraced living as opposed to just what we might think of as practice. And I kind of wondered, is that, and I'm guessing, well, I'd, I'd like to get a sense, like, is that the, it, was the film a reflection of your practice of yoga? Yes. Yeah? Yeah.
1: I guess it was, for me, a reflection of my research and my practice, and yeah. um because also you know with the teaching of yoga as well, I am strong in strong belief that unless you have a practice a spiritual practice i would i don't even like to call it practice actually. I like to call it sadhana because practice mm-hmm. is something you can't practice life you either live yeah. you live live it or you don't so mm. you know with one sadhana or whatever that is for their spiritual involvement on their path it's in you know a very important part to be able to teach from that space. If you don't have that living daily in your life, you can't teach from that space. So for me, it was really the people, the interview subjects I had in the film, it was important that they had a living sadhana, that they Mm -hmm. lived what they actually believe and what they teach, because then that I knew would come through in the film. Um, I mean, there was... I did interview a lot of other people in India and, and Nepal as well, but some of them... Um, some of those interviews were difficult to to bring across because we went during Shivaratri for the first lot of interviews. So, if you ever go to a I don't know if you've ever been to India during a festival, but it's quite yeah. crazy. <laughs> and and uh, the the you know um temple, there was over two million people there. So I knew at that time that I would be able to access more people than normally for interviews because some of them come from India. They come from all over just to be there for that particular night. Yeah. And, you know, there was another wonderful Ayurvedic doctor that I met and he was also a, um, an Aghori yoga practitioner and he was 117 this month. Wow. Night.
2: No way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Wow, um, and still able to give interviews, <laughs> and still
1: and still like living his practice. But it was we went to his um his like when he was there just for shiva ratri. Normally he lives in the forest, but he came down and on the wow. gut there because they still burn <clears throat> the bodies um, in pashupatinath.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's little kind of caves where you know people have access who. connected to the temple so whenever he's there they give him this little cave so we went in there it was full of smoke because he was doing his homer (laughs) Uh (laughs) so like oh can we come back when you're not it's not smoked out in here but it was like tiny like this the space and I had a translator on one side the camera on the other and he was in the middle and you know the words he said were great but he he wasn't you know he wasn't used to giving interviews um and he, his eyes kept moving. So I, you know, as a film director, also a filmmaker, I saw how important it was when you interview someone, that connection they make to the audience mm. through the camera, which is hard to capture. And so they were all learning things as a first-time filmmaker as well. Yeah.
2: Wow. I'm just imagining the visuals I, of that. I have yeah. a, I have a Sorry question. Sorry to go back, but but I, <clears throat> when you're talking about... Um, a sadhana and a spiritual practice. And I, and I think my own practice has that, although mm. I would be hard-pressed to articulate that to someone else and certainly hard-pressed to teach that. But I'm yes. like a Western, you know, people come to my class to do a bit of asana and some breathing and some relaxing, and that's sort of what they're <laughs> there for. Yeah. And I've always taught, when I teach teacher trainers, taught them to teach in a secular way. Mm. But as you're saying that, maybe we're losing something. I, you know, I want to gather everyone in, to not step on anyone's spiritual toes, I wonder what you think about that. Whether it whether one should actually describe one's spiritual connection and vision and practice as one teaches, mm. or leave it mm. more open and secular.
1: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good point to bring up, Maria. I think mm. it's um, definitely, you know, in hatha yoga, it's very clear that the tools that they give us on the path are really the the tools that we utilise for the internal cultivation and it's an internalised worship, you could say.
3: Mm.
1: So if you look at any religion, you know, everything, any kind of worship or offering is done outside. So with Hatha Yoga, and this is also why I called the film Agni Yogana and Mm. the tagline, lower the head to invoke the fire. So that inner fire is our altar, you know, Mm. and that's Mm. what we're constantly feeding through the activity, to bring more light, consciousness to to ourselves and um, to touch the individual soul. So I feel like not every, you know, I think it's a good thing to touch on with students, but it's like everyone's path will be different. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And, um, you know, some people may not go, you know, those further stages with their sadhana. They may only work with the access of the physical practices, which is also fine. I, I feel it's more that people accept if that's what they're doing, that's what they're doing and not turn asana into, you know, like if I do two hours of physical asana work, then I'm going to get enlightened because it's not about that. And that doesn't happen. I mean, the asana is just there to remove our obstruction, take us inward. And then the, then you go into meditation. So, mm. um, I guess also with the, the Shloka from the Shiva Samhita, which is from, it's chapter three, Shloka 18, where it speaks of the journey for the even the beginner to have faith on the path. So for me, you know, with the film, it was about yoga and hatha yoga, but also I feel like that's whatever you do in life, it doesn't matter what it is, you have to have faith in your undertaking and mm-hmm. having full heart and faith in it. It gives you that firmness of mind. It drives you to find, or the right teacher to find you for whatever your path is. Yeah,
2: True, it fires the tapas, kind of. The, it, it, otherwise, you, you doubt yourself and, and sort of drop away. Yes. Yeah, and I suppose that's the job of the teacher is to somehow ignite that fate, faith or to, yes. to recognise the potential and let someone recognise that in themselves and, and get lit up about it. Yeah, Yeah. definitely.
1: And I think that, you know, there's always doubt. Doubt will always come in. But,
2: Mm. you
1: know, you can let the doubt be there, but you keep moving forward with what it Mm. is that you have faith in that you've undertaken. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I find myself curious about your yoga journey and how it may have started for you and kind of taken you to this point.
1: Um, well, Well, I started as a teenager and it was actually my great aunt that used to practice in the garage in her black leotards
0: <laughs> I <can imagine> that. <laughs> and, Wonderful. And,
1: and I and I used to I was very intrigued by what she was doing and and it was all seemed quite mysterious and um so that was really my first you know glimpse into to hatha yoga and um, and then it was in my actually in my 20s that I started seriously um working as a practitioner in hatha yoga I, and Before, you know, when I finished school, I went to university did visual communication. So I guess that's where that's always been with me and hence why I brought forth a film later Mm -hmm. on. Um, And, yeah, so it was when I was in Sydney working, actually a photographer friend of mine said, um, do you want to come and do this yoga course? It was an Iyengi yoga course in Surrey Hills and that's how I started. And um, then when I travelled actually with my design and photography work, Um, overseas like in New York and London I was working freelance I was going to different studios and and I you know I also saw the importance of the teacher and the heart connection that we have to have with the teacher otherwise Mm. even you can go to a class and it might be a great teacher but if you don't have that connection you can't receive anything fully Mm. Mm. Um, and so then when I returned to Australia um, I was still freelancing but I wanted to take on more of a a rigorous approach with the the yoga and that kind of eventuated into teaching. I had to kind of make a choice. It was more, you know, like, do I, um, just do the yoga or just, you know, I, I couldn't put my energy into both. I was trying and I realized I had to give something up. So Mm. the creative work, I didn't give it up, but that the end my energy wasn't pulled so much to that, but moved more into the, the Hatha yoga. Um, and then, you know, trips to India. I also wanted to study more about the Ayurveda, not to be a doctor, but just to know, because it's a sister science, um, the importance of that. So I studied with a doctor down in Kerala in a very rural place for about five years. I used to go on and off and spend time with him and study the Stanga. Mm. And yeah, so that's how it kind of started and evolved.
0: I, as an as a interested party, I would love to hear how you feel Ayurveda has, has um, enhanced or um, expanded, if at all, or just had any effect on your sadhana, on your life as a yogi. Well,
1: well definitely, because I, the, the Ayurveda gives us the other tools for the outward life. The yoga gives us the tools for the inner journey, but the Ayurveda for the outward and how to connect with those five elements and how to understand the five elements in our body, in the seasons, um, what we eat, uh, all of that. So if, you know, even in the text, they warn that when, for the beginner, that they do have to be on a stricter diet when they Mm -hmm. start the practice of of Hatha Yoga. And, you know, teaching also, i found that students, when you start to teach them in the beginning they might have terrible dietary habits but suddenly they'll change those habits because it won't feel good to eat something when they start doing the yoga so yeah. they then that connection becomes closer yeah
0: yeah it feels like in the western world those things have been separated you know yes. yoga and ayurveda have been separated even though they are i often can, i often talk to them as sort of two sides of the same coin Yes. And so they're slowly, we're slowly starting to kind of try to bring those back together. But I'm always really surprised when I speak to yogis, especially people who've been practicing for a really long time, that mm. know very little, if anything, about, about Ayurveda, which in some ways is exciting because I think, oh, good, there's plenty to teach you. But then in other ways, I think, yeah, it's really interesting that these things have been um, so divided, you know?
1: Yes. And I guess it's, you know, in the West, it has, if you go, especially South India, everyone knows about Ayurveda. They live yeah. it. They live it. Exactly. Yeah. They live it there. Yes.
2: Fantastic. Mm. I'm feeling deprived because I really only till I met Shara did I even begin to understand it. And, mm. even, and that even that's just a <coughs> scratching at the surface. But it's interesting because you described it very similarly to the way that Shara describes it as well, yeah. that idea mm. of relationship. Mm. The inner and the outer, and of understanding those elements within you and how they interact. That's beautiful.
1: <laughs> well, and I, I feel like it's, you know, with our um, Hatha yoga sadhana too, if you're doing that, it's also seasonal. You know, what we do yeah. with the seasons, with the practice, you have to support the body with certain things more in winter and less in summer. I mean, even in the text, they say, well, you don't do like Maya Rasana for long periods of time because it will overheat you in the summer you know, Mm -hmm. and even the pranayamas that are given are more to cool the body. Mm So, you know, in the yoga, they give that and same in the Ayurveda. It's all to do with that seasonal component and those Mm. five. Yeah. um,
0: It works together really well.
2: (laughs) Definitely.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And are you, do you teach people to teach as well as, or or are you more teaching one-to-one? Who are Uh, your main people that you're working with?
1: Um, Well, we do have um, like an international um, student base because of all the travel. Mm. Um, So uh, Sundanath Shandoramite, who's the the yogi in the film Agni Yogana, is actually my husband. Um,
2: This is the man at the centre doing yoga. Yes, in
1: in his G-string. In his (laughs) G-string, exactly.
2: Okay, good. Um,
1: He was the thread, and I guess (laughs) it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a personal thing that I only wanted him featuring in the film because I did look at actually bringing in other Hatha yogic practitioners.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I saw it was for the film and the way I broke it into chapters, it was to have that one thread of one person that yes. was pulling everything together with, mm-hmm. it, with those other wonderful voices in the interviews. Um, so, you know, together we have for over 20 years, being nomadic pretty much, nine mm. months on the road, and then we would come back to Australia for the summer. Very very bad with the, the seasonal thing because we often didn't, don't have a winter. Um, but this, the last few years we've had a winter, which is great. Mm. And with that, you know, we have done... Teach, we started the teacher training for, that was, what you had to do for three years. So the people that started that was in 2000, and we went, took three different groups, one in Australia... One in Europe one in the states mm. um, and then once we kind of had a community of of the teachers, then we haven 't done I mean people ask us all the time about doing teacher training, teacher training because as you know it 's become such a big thing for teachers to teach people how to teach mm-hmm. and um, I'm, I am definitely of the belief that you 'd either that it lives in you or it doesn 't it 's not mm. and I feel like many people do. Get on the path of yoga and they love the benefits and they feel good from it and then they want to share it. So they think, Oh, well, I'm going to do a career change and become a teacher. Um, but is it really their path or not? That's Mm. I think something that people don't actually question. And again, hence in the text, why they always put the in the shloka atta, which means what comes before. So are they really reflecting on well, what's before this? like, if, I'm, if I want to take the path of the teacher, is it really something that I'm prepared to, to give up these other aspects of my life to take mm. that path? Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably all I can say about teaching. But now when we teach, we do different courses. It's not, we don't have a regular school. So it's yeah. more um, like in the States, in Europe, we go and we have, you know, open things. Anyone can come and learn um, and then we will do retreats for people that are more experienced and want to go a little bit deeper with their sadhana. So mm. different aspects are given during those retreats. Mm. What I
0: I've, I find, I'm <clears throat> interested in understanding, like, so what's at the heart of your, um, of what you teach? I've, just having watched the film and seen um, the practice, which, you know, was felt very... Um, rigorous isn't the word really that I need that I want really but it's it felt very physically deep and so I wonder it like what is at the heart of the of the of what you teach
1: Um, Hatha yoga yeah (laughs) yeah Um, I guess it's the the heart of the teaching is really to to invoke um, that inner fire that altar within each person so you know before even when I teach, you know, there's always, even if I don't teach a Sanskrit prayer, I will always take even a beginners or an open class, just get people to honour something higher than themselves before Mm -hmm. they start the activity. Um, And then the physical aspect of it is to remove the obstructions in the body. So I'm sure you've heard of mama because it's spoken of in in Ayurveda as well as yoga and martial arts. Um, So it's removing through the physical practice, those, ob- those areas where the blockages are so that the energy or the life can fr- flow freely, then, of course, that's going to ignite the one's fire as well, bring good immune- immunity to the body. Mm. And then it gets the mind focused. So, you know, from there, I then take the student towards some simple mudra work, um, simple seats, um, and then in towards the, the pranayama, and the meditative aspect. And for beginners, you know, when you watch Agni Yogana, definitely I don't teach, I wouldn't teach a sequence like that to a beginner. (laughs) That's more of an advanced (laughs) practitioner, you know. But for the beginner, there's just simple um, what they refer to in the the Hatha Tatpa Kalmodi. I'm not sure if you've heard of that text. Mm -hmm. It was... um, It was translated by the Lanavala Institute, Dr Garot, who is in the film. He's with Mm -hmm. the scholar and historian that's talking. They've Mm -hmm. done some really great translations, Lanavala Institute and Kaivalya Dharma. So hence why I went to Lanavala for that kind of textual aspect of of, um, speaking to those people there. And Mm. also because I've, I've seen a lot of those texts that have translated. In there, they talk about the Chalanas or Jaganya charanas in the Hatha Tattva and they're very simple joint warm-ups.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, in modern yoga, it's not really heard of or spoken mm-hmm. of. But if you look into some of the other Asian um, aspects of, of, you know, spiritual practices or martial arts, they do do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the dance as well, like Bharatiya Nacham, those things, Katakali dance in, mm. in Kerala when I researched down there. You go mm-hmm. to a traditional school down there and they are just basic, what we would term in English as warm-ups. Mm-hmm. And those things just turning your head, your shoulders, your wrist, your waist, your knees, your ankles. It prepares the body by moving those important parts to get the fluid moving well, soft tissue working well, to take you into something standing, something seated, yeah. And even these different, well, I guess in the West, everything is called asana now. The asana is really only a seat. Mm-hmm. But when we look into the text, anything that's not seated with that you're using the body's limbs for refers to karana. So a karana means in Sanskrit to cause something to rise and it's the utilisation of the limbs in the correct manner that feed that central
0: pathway of the body. Mm. Cool. That's beautiful. <laughs> that really well, is. There's something, I, um, as you're, as I was listening to you, um, I was reminded of one of my favourite quotes from Dr. Svoboda, which I think comes from the Rig Veda, is, um, it's his, maybe it's his translation of it, which is, the body is nothing but fire.
1: Yes.
0: And I love that so much because I feel mm. like that um that says so much about who we are and not just that but about what our focus kind of should be in life which also comes from ayurveda this idea of keeping that fire that internal fire and how it all the many ways that it is can be kindled and all the many ways that it expresses itself in our Mm. life through our relationships through you know a a supple body through Mm. you know digestion that's working properly in order for us to digest life and to us for us to digest the food that we eat. Yeah. So I really love that this is a practice that's very, or a sadhana, that is very much focused around that, because that seems so different to, um, it just in terms of focus, messaging, um, yes. to you know the modern yoga that we see,
1: you know? Yeah, I know, definitely. I mean, Robert's great when he talks about the agni. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, I've known him for a long time, Yeah. Um, And, you know, I guess that's for me, the journey with the film was also, it's my own, you know, path of the Hatha yoga, you know, the study of the Ayurveda and some of the other aspects of the different sciences related that, you know, it was always my quote about the Agni and especially if, you know, either of you have ever done the Panchakarma. Part of the Ayurvedic cleansing. We never have. I want we're, going. To. we're going. Yeah, we're going,
2: and then COVID happened. Yeah, yeah yes. I have, though.
1: Yeah. yeah, but and there's some wonderful places to do that down in, in Kerala. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's when one really learns about their Agni because mm. you, you're restrained from so much. Um, and I mean, a lot of the Ayurvedic places also, I mean, even if you talk to Robert about this, he'll say so many of them now are, co- are corrupt because they, you know, they still people use the phone or the internet or, you know, but there's still those traditional ones that they don't allow that to happen. And you really Mm. switch off from the outside and you kindle that fire again. It's almost like you completely transform it. And when I first um, went to Kerala, the first clinic I went to was Puntatam. And that's where I met Dr. um, Ravindranath, Dr. Ravi, who runs that um, ashram Ayurvedic mm-hmm. Ashram, and it was such great learning. And I, you know, I'd because I'd, I'd studied the text and I was were learning the Ashtanga Hridayam with him. I wanted to know, okay, they give all these cleansings, and I know about the cleansings because in the yoga they have the Shatkriyas, yeah. which are even more. Um, intense because you have to do them to yourselves. Yeah. to yourself. <laughs> and but even the shakriyas they are and they and they warn in, in the um in the text though even with the shakriyas it doesn't mean you have to do all of them. Mm. You know, it's only if there's an imbalance that you need to do jalameti or drink lots of water and throw it all up and um so and the Ayurveda are very similar. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting because when I was um down in Kerala doing the treatment and then also learning, I was, you know, I, there was a young doctors that would be doing the internship there with um, Dr. Ravi, and they, none of them had done the punch karma. They just do everything from the book. You know, they were like, by the book, from the book. I said, how can you not experience this? And so then I was like, okay, I want to do all of them. Mm. Uh-huh. And I remember um, Ravi said to me, you don't, you know, all of them is not necessary. I said, but I want, I said, I want to understand it for myself. So he was, I mean, he was great. You know, he wouldn't let you do, you had to do at least three weeks. So for the first two years, I did three weeks of just, you know, pretty much just the busty, like the oiling and the busty. And then the third time I went there, i tried. I didn't do the bloodletting.
0: Okay, I was going to say, did you? <laughs> There's a number of ways of doing that. <laughs> but wow. <laughs>
1: no, but I didn't do that also because, you know, being female, we have to be cautious. Yeah, in my we blood and, and my blood wasn't toxic. So no need yeah. to do that. But they do do there, Like I saw patients with leeches. diseases, and Yeah, they use leeches. Yeah, yeah. But um, that really helped me understand so much about the agni and the mind. Because what I learned from that experience of doing all those treatments, you can be, I felt like a baby when I was finished. Like I felt so clean, yeah? Mm. But the mind, you know, had changed, but then it was interesting to see when I got back to society and things yeah. how some of those patterns creep back in. Sure. So, you know, people think by, you know, the, the body's easy to clean up with a bit of fasting, you know, even if you just eat kichui for a week, mm. you can clean the body up but it's the mental concepts that is more difficult to clean up. And they're the things that actually bring disease to our body. In most Mm. cases, the life that lives in this body, it knows how to to give us light, to heal us. But it's the mind when it's worrying, when it's anxious, and especially now, you know, with the times we're all living in, it's very difficult for for many to, um, to harness the mind in that way. So hence why we need all these tools of Hatha Yoga, Ayurveda, to to bring that steadiness. Yeah.
0: So mm. true, so true, and so well said too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to just to sum it up in a beautifully in a, in a way.
0: That beautifully. You, I yeah. wondered. So how was how long was the journey of this film, and what did you learn about yourself and so about? Much. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear some of that. It's so great to be able to speak to a filmmaker about a project like this. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, first of all, it was my first film. Uh uh-huh. So. Um funnily enough, when I was in New York in my 20s um, working with more photography and graphics, I went to, I was living down in um, Greenwich Village mm-hmm. and there was Robert De Niro has a, a school there, Tribeca Film School. Yeah. And it was funny because I never thought about film, but I loved, you know, I was in the generation of, at uni, there was no computers when I did visual communication. And then I came into the world and everything started to get on the computer didn't like it. So I went more into my photography because I'd majored in that. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I'm going to try a course in film. And I did a a director's course for for a month. And, you know, it was just a taste and I really enjoyed it. And so then, you know, on travels and research to different parts of the world, when, you know, we went to Bhutan, to Mongolia, places like that, I would film a little bit. Um, And it was I guess the journey of, of making the film was funny, as first-time filmmaker, someone said to me, you really did it the hard way, like you chose foreign language as well as, <laughs> Yeah, which <laughs> was like really interesting um, to work with, but I chose a very good editor, like uh, her name is Lindy Harrison, mm-hmm. and Lindy's uh, Sydney-based, and she's been doing documentary work for a long time, and I knew... You know I didn't know people in the film industry, but I had a couple of friends who connected me in Adelaide, and then they said, "Oh, this person would be good for you." So I interviewed people in Melbourne in Sydney, and the editor for me was so important because they they help you with the storytelling, and everything mm-hmm. I even though you might have a a whole kind of projection of how you want the film to look, it's not till you get into the edit that it comes to life mm-hmm. um, So I learned so much working with Lindy, and she was also is linguistic she's also worked with the Dalai Lama so she was perfect because I had Tibetan speakers, Nepali speakers um, so that was really really helpful in that aspect of, of the editing which is a huge part of any filmmaking project Yeah. and one thing I learned also was about you know your pre-production how important that is so you know I had a lot of thought First, it was really actually just going to be some short series. But then I saw that I needed to make a whole feature film. Um, and when I went and got the interviews and, and you know, did the trip specifically for Agni Yorgaana, there was two trips I did to Nepal and India. And when I got into the edit, Lindy said to me, she said, is this B-roll is like the cutaway footage, you know, when someone's talking and then there's, she said, is this, is this all the b-roll you've got i said yeah she said oh um let me see your camera what's on your camera? <laughs> because i didn't have enough b-roll so uh-huh. that's why like some of the additional footage like baranasi things like that was actually stuff that i just shot on my tree. really oh, right. never, uh, yeah. never never intentional to use for agni ogana but it was yeah. actually fitted in well because it was part yeah. of the obviously the research i'd been doing and like i said I guess it was around 2014 that the idea came to me that I wanted to clarify for people what the term yoga was. And I always had this dream to make a documentary, but I never knew how it was going to eventuate. Mm. Um, and I had, you know, done some research and had some of my own footage, but I knew I needed to work with a team of people and, and bring it to life. And I didn't have enough footage at the time, so I produced a book um, which Chandra wrote the narrative to about Chidambaram and the five faces of Shiva, which is is his aspect as the dancer, mm-hmm. the attaraj form. Um, and then that, then late, then I, once I'd done that, I knew, okay, now I can visually um, do this documentary. And it was in 2016, like I said to you, the, the Shloka came to me in personal retreat and then, 2017 is when I started to do the trips to get the interviews, Mm. do the filming, and then end of 2017, again, went back. Beginning of 2018, I started. um, It was like a three-year path of doing that. And in the whole process, I sadly lost my father. Mm. So, you know, with any, I think any creative project you do, sometimes it's through those really dire times that we know when we go through a certain loss or some emotional upheaval that something actually greater can come out of you at that Mm. time. And definitely as tiring and as exhausting as it was to to make a documentary plus travel and teach, it was one of the best times of my life Mm. to to learn about myself. Wow. Wow. And the film, it gave me a gift in the end. And that gift was what i wanted to share with the world yeah mm,
0: beautiful yeah do you feel when i when i hear this the the whole story and this journey i think a lot i think a lot about yoga i think a lot about this the the idea of commitment and of, and of discipline you know tapas just in in sort of staying with that you know staying with this project and taking and moving yourself through all of the um, the different steps because I'm certain, as you've already said, I'm certain there's plenty of times where you come up against something that you have no idea. Like how yes. do I, and those are the times when I've, I've certainly found in my own life where I just mm. get stopped. I just think, I don't know what to do with this. And there's something, I, I, I think about how long you've been practicing or yoga. And I think, is there, do you feel like there's some aspect of, of your yoga that made this film possible outside of what you, mm. outside of the, what you learned? But yes. just what your yoga has given you that, that has made the um, the logistics and I suppose just all of the more practical aspects of this film possible.
1: Yes, definitely. It has. And I, I feel like as it's also, you know, someone always has said, people have always said, oh, it must be so hard traveling, or, you know, it's so great, you know, traveling all the time. And I said, well, really, you try and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it, you know, traveling it's exhausting. is exhausting. And yeah. actually, for me, during the COVID, it's been a blessing to, to actually be forced to stay in one spot. Yeah. And, Mm. um, I feel like for me, it was always, that was, that's home for me when I do my sadhana and, you know, it's two, twice a day. Sometimes I do three sessions a day. Mm. Um, and that's when I go home. So that's always what's grounded me and fed Mm. me. And, when I was making the film and when I would come up to different obstacles, it was always during those times that I was doing my sadhana that I had that time of reflection to resolve some of the things that, you know, when you're out there projecting (laughs) what you want, how, how you want it to be, it never helps. Um, So one of the big lessons also for me was to be patient. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I guess, you know, with the, The community of um, teachers in shadow yoga. Shadow yoga is the term used for for the teaching um, that I do. Shadow yoga is a synonym for hatha yoga. So the term shadow yoga is derived from the Shiva Swarodaya, one of the texts on the the breath, talking about the breathing. And it's in, in there that it talks about the yoga of the shadowy man. So those shadows being defined as the different layers that we work through which is the five elements, the individual soul, and then that greater aspect, greater Mm -hmm. being. Um, And then, of course, the mind you have. So it's really working through those layers or those shadows, as it's referred to in the text, that you touch the true self or the individual soul. Um, So, yeah.
2: It's kind of back to faith, isn't it? Because um, I love that idea that you hit an obstacle or you hit a problem And I think the long-term yield from yoga, or when you start, you've done it a bit, and you, is this idea that all will be well, I just have to, I just have to have faith in it, and that Mm. I'll work it out, or it'll work out. And you also don't try and do it with your frontal lobe, Mm. that it's not just an intellectual exercise, that there is a a being with it in all your layers of being. And it's, I I almost imagined that somewhere in the back burner of your mind, it, 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 it'd reorganize and work itself out. And that it, it so often does, but you have to have faith in that process and let go of that control. I don't know if that was your experience as I reflected yes. that.
1: You've said it perfectly. Maria. <laughs> yeah. That, the, the the, you know, the need to control it or have it turn out a certain way. Um, I, I couldn't do, I mean, that's what the yoga, I guess, has taught me on my path is how you deal with those obstacles. And, film, different process, but there were definitely a lot of obstacles with that too. Mm. Um, But I was very um, blessed with a a great team. You know, that was one of the biggest learnings for me. I guess, you know, when you do hatha yoga, it's you do it on your own. No one can do it for you. It's it's your own sadhana, your own personal journey. Um, With making the film, was how I brought a team of people together that had faith in me and my vision. And it was their faith in what I was doing with this vision that also helped fund the second stage of the film. So, mm-hmm. the first stage of the film I funded myself, like the trips, the filming, and then, you know, I looked at Documentary Australia Foundation. I looked at grants. I thought, well, wow, this is going to take years. I'll never make this film. Um, and then, one of my students in the states, and also good friend um, Judy Yu, she said, you know, I would love to project manage a Kickstarter funding for you. And she helped. And with some of the other people in the community, some of the teachers, we had a really successful Kickstarter, which you never know if those things are going to work or not. Mm -hmm. And, And it was really from that, I guess, you know, like that I saw that faith that others had also in my vision and they wanted to see this film come to life. They wanted to see it on the big screen. So going back to where we started, that was such a good feeling when I could share it with people in the theatre, in the cinema. Mm. Yeah. And so what's,
0: is there, what's the onward journey? Like we've talked a bit of, of the film itself. We've yes. talked a little bit about where it's come from and kind of where we are now We've and and in terms of, you know, where it's being seen and all the rest of it. Is mm-hmm. there a bigger vision that you have or is there kind of an, end point end goal or is it now just out there or what's your
1: good question (laughs) um no, definitely. i feel like now it's um i really want to um spread the word of the film like that's been because myself and my team you know we're not all in the film industry and you know marketing and all of those things how important they are but it's not i mean i don't even look at facebook i have you know, a friend who manages that for me. Um, I don't even have a personal Facebook account. And um, so it's, I guess, for me now, it's getting spreading the word of the film, which Mm. I was so grateful we were able to have the opportunity with SPS. One of my team who is in the film industry, she's Adelaide based producer, um, Katrina Lucas, she was my production consultant, and she helped get some funding back from the film because we did all the post-production at the South Australian Film Corporation. So Screen Australia, when we went for the funding, they flagged the film actually to go into the education world. And so this, for me, was a big, like, joy because I want, you know, it's exactly what you're asking, Chara, is I do want to people to be more educated now about this, the path and also these aspects. And like I said, even if you don't do yoga, but, you know, having faith, having, you know, that, faith, all of those aspects are so important. And the Numpur Rinpoche says it's beautifully in the film and he talks about the the teacher, when he says, you know, if you're wanting to learn Buddhism, you go to the Buddhist teacher. If you're looking to do a sport, you find a good coach. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what your path is, but do you have these aspects there so you can understand how to have the the steps to take when you follow that path diligently. Um, So when Screen Australian presented that, we now put together a study guide with the um, Media Association. Mm. And people, it's been recommended now for schools. So years uh, 10, 11 and 12 um, in Australia and New Zealand. So basically they're called ATOM. And they, with... um, you know, the help of my team as well, we put this study guide together with them so that it goes into the school so students watch the film, then they engage in conversation, they go home, they might, you know, just delve into one aspect or another. Um, And it's very roughly based on also the um, facilitator's guide that um, David Lipsy is one of my executive producers on the film, put together for our community screenings because that was another thing we wanted to launch this year, but sadly we couldn't. Um, mm. And so the community screenings was to have different yoga studios or different communities that are doing yoga or Ayurveda or anything to bring it into their place, bring their community together, have a screening. And then, you know, it, because there's a filmmaker, if I was in the country, I was happy to be there for Q&A, but if not, they had this facilitator guide that they could engage the audience in conversation and people could share ideas around the film. So that's, I guess, now the next stage for the film is more to educate, um, you know, all different ages, schools, yoga studios, the Ayurvedic aspect of it is there as well. So, yeah,
2: that's amazing. Oh, can, can we access those study guides and facilitators' guides? Yes,
1: you can. It's yeah. um, if you go into um, I'm pretty sure it's uh, AgniOgana.com mm-hmm. on our website. Um, there's all the information there about screenings and the facilitator's guide is... Fantastic. Yeah. And so it's a free guide. It's, it, there's no mm-hmm. charge. So people can... can. So now with SBS, the idea was also for schools that they got the guide and the time slot at 330 is purely for the students. So we, we kind of specified, can we have more rounds end of school day time so that if there is um, schools interested to yeah. teach their students, then they can use the guide, watch the film on SBS.
2: Yeah. Fantastic.
0: We'll put a link to the, to the guide Definitely. in the show notes for this. I love that as, a, as someone who, <clears throat> who learns visually and also, kind of, you know, tactily, like I like getting kinesthetically. Um, I like, I love the idea of a film as a, as a, a form for creating, you know, questions and yeah. kind of, um, for lack of a better term, sort of kindling curiosity in, in people around, you know, di- things that they'd never seen before. I'm sure there were such so many, so many beautiful and exotic locations and. Individuals who had such incredible wisdom and just things to see, like the the Gats, all the different Gats that you showed, I, yes. I could just see how that could how that could really get some some children really thinking about things that you know that could, I guess, generate some really interesting conversation. So I love and I, that.
1: I, I, I agree. Also, I, I, they can't so. get to those countries.
2: Exactly. Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 eye of the camera was a. a very much the eye you have when you sit in a room and you look at the shelves and the books and the... I love that it wandered around the room and looked at the environment. Mm -hmm. And it was very satisfying. Things that you wouldn't normally... I don't know, it wasn't a very conventional way of filming things, and I absolutely loved that because that is what you look at when you're in a new place. You look at everything, Mm -hmm. in in a way, with a beginner's mind or a child's mind.
1: Yeah, well, actually, one of my um, cinematographers, he... His name's um, Umut Gunduz and he's in the UK but he's Turkish background and he has that mind like a child Mm. too. And he had a, when we talked about the filming, especially when we went to these locations, he really wanted me to invest in a gimbal. So the gimbal gimbal is what, yeah, and it just, it gives you exactly, it's really nice to actually get that feedback, Maria, of how it it, it felt for you.
2: And I loved there was a particular one at that, that, the temple where there was a, or maybe more a learning institution, a, a monastery where they had that open courtyard and yes. the way he took you all the way around it and then down the stairs and followed and then followed someone yes. else in that direction. It was really satisfying because yes. sometimes those things can be sort of nauseating and dizzying, but it was, yes. Yes. it was, I, that's exactly how I felt. It was like a kid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that
1: was, I mean, that was one idea um, that we had and I when we discussed that we would, were following someone because mm. I didn't personally want to be featured in the film you know sometimes you get oh and here we are blah 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 yeah. I didn't want to it, for me it wasn't that kind of documentary yeah. so the idea of the gimbal I said we want to capture footsteps sometimes because we mm. feel like they're following someone on a path and then we go off somewhere else and oh we're here now um so that was the footsteps and then the day, the times of day, I don't know, that was kind of hidden as well, that we started the film at sunrise. Mm. We finished at midnight. So I wanted that underlying element to be there of the 24-hour the cycle because with touch the, on that too. The, the practices, you know, yeah. you have those four times of the day that they mm. speak are important to do the sadhana, which is one and a half hours before the, the sun rises, midday, around 11am to to 1pm, and then the evening time, which is one and a half hours before the sun drops, that you capture the energy of the light then and also the essence of the day as it leaves us. And then the midnight practice, which is definitely more meditative, is the time to cultivate that feminine energy, um, which is definitely where you want to be more static and meditative. Mm. So you know, those things they hint on in the text, but a lot of people don't understand. Well, actually, if you, you know, because if you go into it now this is not something you can do if you're out there daily living in the world four sessions a day, but you can, um, in retreat, definitely work those, the, the sadhana like that and use those times to cultivate the energy correctly. And mm. the morning time, you know, it lends itself to a more linear focus with the activity and definitely the inversions the mm. shoulder stand, the headstand, or what they refer to as shiyasasana and savangasana in mm. modern yoga, um, that time of the day is there because in the night you're rested, you're sleeping. In the day you want to take the energy from that, from the, it's been in the nerves all night. You want to take it into the blood because mm. the blood carries you through the day. Mm. You know, midday, the sun is at its highest, you know, the best time to to eat. Agni, is its fire is just like the sun, it's at its height Mm. at midday. And Dr. Martina touches on that very well in the film too. Um, But then again, any practice done at that time with the Hatha yoga is again more static. You know, if you jump around too much at that time, you're going to just jack your pitta up like crazy and disturb the fire. Um, And then the evening, as the sun goes down, It's to take the energy from the blood back into the nerves so you become more restful for the evening, for sleep. Mm. And the movements should be more circular swaying-like and not too much and then, again, more seated activity. And then, you know, they say in the text, if you can, you rest for, you know, three hours or so. So if you go to bed early, 8.30, 9, and then you get up again at midnight Mm. and you do a sitting then. And then again, you go back and you rest three hours and then you get up. So if you look, it's like staggered, the staggered watch. (laughs) Um, And then there's also that fifth time, which they call the Brahma Mahuta hour, um, which is when one should rise. Mm. So sometimes it's difficult for people to get the clock right because, you know, they put our clocks forward Mm -hmm. for almost six months of the year. So we're really six months of the year. We're living a false time, not the Mm. correct time. (laughs) Um, and that hour is to, because every all everything is in its place. Everyone's happy, so it's good to get up there and just sit before mm-hmm. you do anything.
2: You know? What time is that?
1: It's usually around three thirty, four a.m. in the morning.
2: Yeah, to think early. I miss it almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I wake up. Yeah. I thought it was menopause. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'm waking up just to feel that perfect. Are, equilibrium so. in the world are, definitely. <laughs> that'll make it better when i do wake up it'll be good i'll appreciate it
1: yeah, yeah. i um uh, i will share with you also i wrote this um i do a lot of um workshops also for women because mm-hmm. there's um you know the, the hatha yoga for men and women it's very similar but there's definitely because of our body type and and what we need to take care of at different stages for women there are different practices at different times and you know a lot of the text it's all written for men it's not, <laughs> they don't talk about the practices for women but they were there definitely the the yoginis um so with that i often talk about these cycles and seasons and times and i did put together a very um because students kept asking me, where can I find the information? I said, well, it's kind of all over the place. It's what I've read and understood. And I brought it together with um, some wonderful illustrations by one of my mm-hmm. students, um, Alexandra Gilbert, who's, um, of course, French and as the name sounds and is a beautiful illustrator. Um, and we told a story in that. So I will share that with you. It's available mm-hmm. on our website, but it's something that's purchased. So I would I'd love yeah. to to share that with you both. Oh, that would be lovely, ideas. but Aww, still also thanks. to direct people. We'll
2: direct people to your
0: website to purchase it too. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. So wow. as, this has been brilliant. As we, Amazing. as we start to sort of wrap things up a little bit, I think the question that keeps coming to me mm. is um, I'm always thinking of, you know, every experience that we engage with somehow is reflected in who we are and how we express ourselves. And given that you've had this beautiful experience of yoga over the last, you know, numbers of decades, but then also this really interesting experience of creating this film, I wonder how has this, how has this experience, particularly this film experience over the last number of years, how has it shifted or changed your, sh- your sadhana? Or how has it impacted yes. it?
1: Um, I think it brought some maturity to my sadhana. Yeah, uh, definitely because of the, um, well, I, you know, also being menopausal. Yeah. <laughs> menopausal. Stuff. Yeah. I, interesting. I turned 50 this year, <laughs> but you know, Same. as, as we know as women, it, yeah. you know, that hormonal change starts to happen at 35, but I think Ooh. it really starts to come in at 45 and, and this is when it's our time of wisdom you know, yeah. and our fire does change at this mm-hmm. time. Um, so, The maturity that that I I felt came through my sadhana from making the film was because of these, you know, wonderful people I met on the journey of making Agni Yogana and how they helped really, you know, very simply what they said in many of those interviews just helped me concrete those beliefs that I already had on Mm. the path, um, which gave me even more faith and more, um, you know, firmness with my own, activity on my path and what I was doing with my path and the teaching. Um, so that's how I would sum that, that question up.
2: That's beautiful. Yeah, that really is. is. Lovely that that film, because so many people go into a film with all this intention and all this vision and, and they forget to learn, whereas it actually sounded like you were present enough to receive and to learn and to allow that to seep into you. Yes. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, Emma, this has really been beautiful. I'm yeah. so happy that we, um, that we were you know, able to come together, that we were put into yes. contact uh, with each other, because the film is absolutely beautiful. And this has been really wonderful, just hearing about your story and about the story of the film as yes. well, and then about where it's going. So we're excited to share all the stuff that you have talked to about, talked about um, with thank our communities you. and to encourage folks to go and to check out the movie, because it's wonderful.
1: Good, yeah. thank you.
2: Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. What a delight.
1: It was a really, yeah, it was lovely to meet you both. It would be nice to meet you in person one day. Yeah, yeah. I know. We will
0: make so. that happen. Actually, we'll, so. we'll definitely hold out for that. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks Take care. Again. Stay you warm. Yeah. Yes, you too. I've yeah. got my warm jumper on. I know you, do. you
0: do. <laughs> I love it. Right over there. I know it's gorgeous uh-huh. too. All
1: Thank right. You. I know. Uh-huh. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.
0: You're back, and if you enjoyed what Emma had to say, and if you haven't already, you should definitely check out her film. Just a reminder, the film is called Agni Yogana, and you know how they say a picture's worth a thousand words? Well, her film does a beautiful job of conveying the richness of the practices of yoga and the cultures from which it comes. And I know after this conversation that that was very much Emma's intent. If you're in Australia, you can catch the film on SBS for free for just another few weeks from today's date, August 17th. So jump on there and check it out. And if you happen to be listening to this and you realize that you've missed it on SBS, or if you're living outside of Australia, just check the show notes for links where you can get access to, to screening the film and to the educational materials that Emma mentioned in our conversation. And if you are interested in learning more about the direct connections between yoga and Ayurveda, there's still time to enroll in my upcoming live online course, The Elements of Yoga, Ayurveda for yoga teachers and students. I've created it as a deep and practical dive into what some of what Emma and I were talking about. You may have felt that excitement in my voice when we were talking in terms of just how these two sister sciences, yoga and Ayurveda work together to support your unique and balanced version of daily living, including your practice of yoga. And if you're a yoga teacher, please know I have created this course to share the tools that I personally have discovered and used over the last decade or so to empower my students to connect more deeply with themselves on the mat and off, and to allow their practice to come from that deep connection and self-awareness. So if a course sounds like something that would be Interest to you, you can check out the show notes for the links. And with all of that said, we have got some more great stuff coming up in the weeks ahead. Really excited to share the conversations that we've been having. As well, we're actually interested in knowing more about what you'd like to hear. So if there are folks that you think we should reach out to for a conversation, people doing inspiring or interesting things in the world, or with fascinating or provocative viewpoints about the world or the world of yoga, let us know. We are loving the conversations we're having and the fact that you're loving them too. So as always, huge thanks to you for listening and for connecting with us. Until the next time, namaste.